0: Hi and welcome to the Via Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are here and our hope is that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue with our new series on the Holy Spirit called Ruach, the Breath of God. Today being the day of Pentecost, Christine Gershom shares with us on how the Holy Spirit is the source of all power. Can we ask God to fill us with His strength and empower us for all that we must do? Hi Church, what a joy it is to share God's Word with you today. As you know, we've begun the series on the Holy Spirit called Ruach. Um, And today we're looking at Ruach, our source of power, Ruach, our power. Last week, uh, Pastor Geshom shared with us about how Ruach is our inspiration. But today we're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit and his power are so essential for our lives. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And um, you know the story of Pentecost, I'm sure, where the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in the upper room in such a mighty, violent way, like a wind, and settled on them like flames of fire. And because of which, they could speak out in different tongues. And it didn't just end there. The upper room experience uh, literally infiltrated every part of their lives. They went to the ends of the earth. They took the gospel of Jesus with them. And they lived powerfully. And so today, I want us to look at a little different passage. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24, verse 49. This is what Jesus said in Luke. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission. This is what it says. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8 says something similar, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost became someone real to the people. He literally rested on them and he enabled them to be witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth. And today we live in a time where the Holy Spirit is as active as he was back then. He still wants to come into all our lives, he still wants to gird us with power for everything that we have been called and commissioned to do. But why do so many of us live powerless lives? Why do we live as if the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell with us? So I I just wanted to give you an an explanation using one of my accessories. So if you notice, um, I'm wearing something new today. I'm wearing a nose ring. So this is not a permanent accessory for me because um, I just know that it doesn't work with every outfit that I wear. So what I do to uh, make sure it doesn't look off, I got clip-on nose rings, both in bronze and silver, and then I just wear it as as it works with an outfit, right? So what happens is if I feel the nose ring doesn't work with an outfit, I just remove it. And so sometimes we as Christians, we treat the Holy Spirit like that. We say, you know what? Holy Spirit, I need you for my job because I want to climb this corporate ladder. So I know you give wisdom. So give me wisdom for that. But then with my marriage, I think I've got it figured out. I don't need you there. Or we say, you know what? I really need help with my teenager because I'm at my wit's end. So Holy Spirit, help me. But then in dealing with my parents or my in-laws, God, I've got this figured out. I know what I need to do. But today... God wants us to come to this place of saying, hey, I want you to be consumed by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to compartmentalize the Holy Spirit anymore. No, he wants us to be consumed. Consumed means that he is involved in everything, all the time, all day, every day. That's what it looks like. Not just based on the outfit kind of nose ring kind of day. No, he wants to be involved in everything I say and do. He wants to be involved in my life from the time I wake up from the, to the time I lay my head down at night. He wants to be involved in my dreams and visions. He wants to be involved in how I live my life with my husband and how I run my home, in how I do business, in how I teach, in how I write. Consumed by the Holy Spirit means that he infiltrates and uh, and is part of everything that I do. And so today we're going to be looking not at the standard passage from the book of Acts, but we're going to be looking at the Old Testament and looking today at one prophet who was heavily under the influence of the Holy Spirit because he could not have done the things he did if it was not for the influence of the Holy Spirit on his life. And this prophet is none other than Elijah. So we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and just understanding what this power looked like and why this power was so rampant and effective in his life. So when we look at Elijah, we look at the setting of which Elijah actually arrives on the scene. um, The setting is, is very well described in 1 Kings chapter 16 verses 30 to 31. This is what it says, Ahab son of Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. The man at the top, the king, the one who should have honored the laws set by Moses, who should have honored God above everything else, has taken the entire country into a time of pagan idolatry and just, you know, Overall degradation, there's a moral degradation, there's a spiritual degradation. All thanks to Ahab and him marrying a a pagan queen and and running the kingdom as he thought best without any inclination towards God or what he wanted for his people. And so this is the setting, It's, it's a season of spiritual darkness for Israel and that's when Elijah steps on the scene. It's the rise of Elijah, so to speak. And for the next couple of chapters, we read all about what Elijah did, how he did it. And you will agree with me that he was one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. And today we're going to be comparing what Elijah was to that time and what God wants for us in this time. Because if you look at it, we are living in a time which is spiritually, morally um, dark, There's a bankruptcy on every level, but the call is for us not to give up. The call is not for us to grumble. The call is not for us to pretend we can't see things. Instead, the call is for us to rise up in power because of the Holy Spirit in us and to say, Lord, here I am. What can I do? What do you want me to do? How can you use me? That's the call on our lives today. So how did this power manifest in Elijah? What did it look like? The first thing, Elijah constantly lived in the beautiful tension of the natural and the supernatural. What do I mean by that? 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 6 to 7 says this, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Imagine that, birds feeding him bread and meat. If that doesn't get you, 1 Kings 18, 11 to 12, it says, Now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. To give you a bit of background, this is a conversation between Elijah and Obadiah. Obadiah was one of Ahab's servants and Elijah wants to meet Ahab. And he uses Obadiah as the intermediate. And when he's telling him, you know what, call your king, I need to speak to him. This guy says, you know what, I don't trust you because you will tell me you want to meet him. And then the Holy Spirit literally teleports you out of here. And then when I bring Ahab, you'll be missing. I could get into trouble. Look at this. Elijah being moved from place to place by the Holy Spirit's power. 1 Kings 19 verses 4 to 8. This is what it says. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, isn't it? It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold there at his head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. An angel cooking a meal for him, cake, bread, things to sustain him. Look at the the tension between the natural and the supernatural. 1 Kings 17 verses 21 to 22 says, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the boy lived This is a story where he's taken to a village and he lives with a a widow and her son and the son abruptly dies. And the woman brings the son and says, "What what have you done? Why has your God forsaken us? And then Elijah lies down on the child three times, stretches himself out in a supernatural act and the child is raised to life. You and I, so often we get caught up in either the natural or only the supernatural. We don't tread this beautiful line where there's a constant tension between the natural and the supernatural. What do I mean by that? When we live wholly in the natural, we're looking at things like bread, water, sustenance, um, what we need for each day. When we live wholly in the supernatural, our heads are in, in the clouds. We, we, we are really of no earthly importance because we're always thinking of something without actually providing the tangible needs of those around us. But here, Elijah lived in this place where he needed bread and water for his sustenance. He was depressed. He was discouraged. He had just had a huge victory, but his life was under threat. And so he's lying down under a broom tree and saying, Lord, take my life. And an angel comes, prepares food for him and feeds him. This is the tension of the natural and the supernatural. Today, you and I have to learn to live in that tension What does that mean? It means that while we pursue our everyday things, you know, our our jobs, our work from home, um, you know, uh, employment, while we, we coach our children, while we look after aged parents, whatever it looks like, we have to still tread that line between the natural and the supernatural. So while I parent, while I pursue my spouse, while I look after home, I'm still allowing God the room to do the supernatural. I'm willing for him to do amazing things in my body, willing for him to do amazing things in my mind, willing for him to do amazing things in my relationships because I'm not meant only for earth. He set eternity in the hearts of man, it says, which means we long for eternity on so many levels. And therefore, we have a bit of that right now on earth. Why not allow God To merge the natural and the supernatural. My husband often tells us this. We need to be expectant for the supernatural. And I believe that now. I understand now that we can't live our lives on earth solely on just the natural. We need to be in this place of saying, Lord, invade it with the supernatural. Touch us. Heal us. Resurrect parts of our life that are so dead, Lord. Do amazing things. Provide for me beyond what I can ask or imagine. Answer prayers that I prayed long time back. Remind me of it. Do things in me that I have not imagined you can do. That's where the natural and the supernatural tension is felt. And it's a good tension. It's not a terrible tension, or a stressful tension. It's a tension of knowing, Lord, here I am in the flesh, human as I am, but yet your power is going to touch me. Yet through me as a channel, others are going to feel your power. That's what it looks like. So Elijah constantly lived in this tension between the natural and the supernatural. How does that apply to you and me today? Let's look at Mark chapter 16 verses 15 to 20. This is what it said. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands and they will drink any deadly poison and it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. This doesn't mean that we play around with snakes or with poison. That's not what it means. It means that even in the hardest situations where evil tends to hit us, when evil blindsides us, when we feel overrun by our circumstances, he will give us the power to overcome. That's what this is talking about. And that's when we live in the tension of the natural and the supernatural because let's face it we're not yet uh, heavenly beings here on earth we feel every ache and pain we feel grief we feel loss and in that humanness his supernatural power will invade and we constantly must live in that beautiful tension so that's the first thing Elijah lived constantly in the tension between the natural and the supernatural the second thing is he consistently stood up against evil Let's look at chapter 18, verse 21. This is what it says. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So this is a, is a, is the scene where there's a contest on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And here he's openly telling the Israelites who have gathered, they're saying, guys, you're constantly hobbling between two opinions. You're not sure that the God of Israel is the one true God. And you keep going back to Baal and you keep inquiring of him. But now today you need to make a choice. Unafraid, he stood up and spoke out against evil. There's another occasion where he does it in 1 Kings chapter 21 verses 17 to 19 then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he is gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood." I don't know about you, but that's such a scary thing to go and tell the ruler of the land. This is what God says you and your wife are going to be crow and dog food someday. Such a scary thing to say. But Elijah never minced words. He stood up boldly against those prophets of Baal. He stood there boldly. He stood there boldly before Ahab. In later chapters, he stands boldly uh, before Ahab's son and he speaks out against evil. And this is not a one-off thing. That's why I said he consistently did that. It's funny because when you have children, you find inconsistencies in all of their behavior, just like is in in us adults. So sometimes our daughter will consistently say, you know, she'll stand for justice, even in the small fights at home. She'll always say the truth. But then there's these one or two times when she'll tell a huge lie or cover up big time. And so she'll lose her credibility with us for a few days. But here is a guy who consistently stood up against evil. In the time that we live in, it's so hard to be consistent about anything. Let's face it, the minute we think we should have a consistent schedule, something happens in the city or in our town and just things go upside down. So consistency is hard. But can we consistently take a stand against evil today? What does that look like? What does that look like? Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 13 A final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Twice Paul writes, stand firm, resist the devil. If you and I have battled with anything in in the form of which is come from the kingdom of darkness. It could be an addiction. It could be anger. It could be something as simple as selfishness or jealousy. We know it's beyond us because it's it's just something that overtakes us and kind of lose our mind for that short span of time when we're under the effect of, you know, being jealous of someone or envious. Small things and they're the big things. They're the big things that mess us up because they're not of God. They're purely evil. And at those times, you realize that we must stand firm. We have to resist the enemy. We have to push back with all we've got. And how do we do that? We do that by arming ourselves with the word of God, with the righteousness that comes from Jesus, with the with integrity that holds up our entire armor together, with a mind that belongs to Christ, with a heart that's protected, with the booth shod with the gospel of peace. That's what he's saying. When you clothe yourselves with the armor of God, you can stand firm and resist the devil. Resist is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. We resist him with the word of God as our offensive. We go forward and say, no more. This addiction, I'm done with it. This this penchant to do evil again and again, enough. I'm not going to do it. And we resist him not just with our words, but with the word of God. And with every weapon at our disposal, be it prayer, be it praise. We unleash that and we resist the enemy. And we don't do it just maybe once a year. We need to sometimes do it every single day. It's a consistent resisting of the enemy. That's how in Elijah's life we see this power so manifest. He consistently stood up against evil. There's no occasion where he actually thought, ah, okay, no, Chalega, I don't want to deal with this. This I leave. Never. He was always in the face of evil, denouncing it and telling them what God thought about it. And so today the call for us is to consistently stand up against evil. The third thing in which we see the power of God so manifest in Elijah's life is that he courageously spoke faith-filled declarations. Let me give you a few examples of that from the scriptures. Chapter 17, verse 1 in 1 Kings says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain, these years except by my word. Look at the faith in that declaration. There's not, he's literally telling them, my God controls the environment, controls climate. I'm telling you, there's not going to be rain. Second occasion, same chapter on verse 14, he says, "For thus says the Lord, he's talking to the widow at Zarephath. The God of Israel says, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. When I was reading that chapter, I was feeling embarrassed for Elijah because here he's been instructed by God to go to this town and he says, I've instructed a widow to look after you, to meet your needs. And he's asking the widow first for water and then he says, okay, also get me bread. Like in afterthought, he says, just get me some bread. And she says, sir, I would love to give you bread, but I just have a little flour and a little oil. I plan to eat it and give that to my son and then we plan to die. Very very tragic circumstances and he says and then he makes this declaration he says don't worry first make me what I asked for and then you and your son will have enough I felt embarrassed about it but Elijah such a declaration of faith because he said hey you know what God's going to provide in faith you provide for me God's going to provide for you you're going to be overflowing today we live in a time where positive affirmations And, and, you know, motivational talks are really garnering a lot of attention. People like that. But the truth is this. Positivity becomes toxic after a point because it starts to hurt people who are not feeling that genuinely. Today, the call on our life is to speak authentic words of faith. Where are your words coming from? Are they coming from a place of endless positivity, which has no foundation of God's word? Because that will show. The cracks will show. The word of God is so powerful that when we speak it into our situation, it actually creates something, creates change. It creates ripples. It creates waves. It changes things. It changes us. The word of God should be used in our declarations, not empty-headed platitudes, not empty platitudes, but the powerful word of God. We live in a time of deconstruction. People want to deconstruct the faith. And when they do that, they say the word of God. Hmm. I'm not convinced with everything about it, but here's the truth. The word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every bit of it. You and I may find errors in it. That's maybe because of copying or translating. But here's the bottom line. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. That's what it says. It's a shield to the blameless. So if you and I want to make those declarations, which actually shift things, which actually change circumstances, it has to be the word of God that comes from our mouth, not just positive affirmations, but the word of God for that has power. John chapter six, verse 63. I love this verse. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you need any more proof that the word of God, like Jesus said, the word I have spoken to you is spirit and life? The message version is even more blatant. This is what it says the spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word, and so it is life making. Basically, what it says is, You know, when we keep speaking positivity into situations, he says, sheer muscle, willpower doesn't do anything. But the words of God, the word of God is life making because it's inspired and breathed upon by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want to change your circumstances, if you want to speak life into someone who's going through a hard time, your words will be futile because your words won't know exactly what they're going through. But when you use the word of God, the spirit of God moves to give you the right word, to speak a word that actually ministers to them, that actually has power in it. So let's not resort to toxic positivity. Instead, let's make those courageous La- those courageous, bold, life-changing affirmations that come from the word of God. They have to be faith-filled. They have to be faith-fueled. That's when it makes a difference. And that's what changed the ministry of Elijah itself because the word that came from his mouth was straight from God. He didn't make this up. He was never trying to please someone. He was never trying to set a positive um feel in the air. He just spoke it as it was. He said what he had to say and kept moving. And it had power because it was the word of God. So will you and I be very, very real when it comes to what we speak? Can we take the word of God? Can we soak ourselves in it so that when we do make declarations, it's the word of God that comes out and it's the word of God that will make a difference. Now, here's the clincher and the whole thing. You know, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the power that was manifest on Elijah back way way back what is the clincher why did I use it to even teach us today and this is the reason why I believe I brought it up because in in James chapter 5 it says Elijah was a man with human frailties just like all of us Elijah was no great shakes he was a regular man God chose him and God used him mightily and so today you and I, we're re- regular human beings, right? We have our weaknesses, we have our strengths, we have our frailties, we have uh, incredible abilities, all thanks to God. And so therefore, the God who used Elijah can use us today. The God who was, uh, whose spirit was so powerfully moving in Elijah can move in us today. And that's why I want us to remember just three things to take away today as to how, if you're asking me, how do I live a life consumed by the Holy Spirit? How do I live a life that's powerful because I'm consumed by the Holy Spirit? The first thing that we need to be is we have to be obedient to God. There is no two ways about it. We must be obedient to God. We must stay obedient to God. Chapter 17 verses 2 to 5, this is what it says. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here. Turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. Now you come further down, chapter 17, verses 8 to 9. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold... I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, if you look at the geography of the place, the brook Cherith was an area which was really not under Ahab's jurisdiction. So it was a bit on the outskirts. And so it's a place where Ahab was taken and hidden. He says, go and hide there. You've given this bold, courageous declaration. There's not going to be rain until I say so. God says, go and hide. And he takes him to this ravine. And he hides him there for some time. And then eventually the brook dries up. And so then he moves him again. And here's the beauty about Elijah. He does not argue. He does not give him logistical advice. Doesn't say, God, you know what? I think this would be a closer spot. Move me there. No. God then moves him to Zarephath. And coincidentally, Zarephath is in the land of Sidon where Jezebel's father was the ruler. So he was in the open now. He, If anyone had a hit out on him, they'd recognize him there. But God's saying, go there. I've instructed someone to look after you. And he went. Today, what has God been asking you? What has the Holy Spirit been impressing on? you? When you read his word, when you spend time with him, what has he been asking you and me? Has he been saying, I, ha- I want you to do this. I- I'm softening your heart towards some need out there. But have you been turning away saying, Lord, I don't think I heard you right. Maybe he's saying, I want to change some things in you. And for that, you need to do certain things. And maybe we're pretending that we're not hearing him. Maybe we're saying, Lord, not right now. This is not the best season for change. Too many things are changing around me. But I want to encourage us to stay obedient to God. The way Elijah did, that was the reason power just surged from him because he was so obedient to God. Where he told him to go, he went. What he asked him to say, he said, today, do we live in such obedience to our God? That's the first thing that's very important. The second thing is we must stay soaked in God's presence through prayer. I'm going to continue reading from James 5, 17. It says, Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. But he prayed and received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land. So there would be no rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and the skies opened up over the land so that the rain came again and produced the harvest. The entire chapter is about prayers. It's about praying for one another in the church, this particular chapter, James 5. And, and Elijah is used as an example of one who travailed in prayer, who was persistent in prayer. It's interesting that God had already told Elijah that it was going to rain after the entire episode up on Mount Carmel where the uh, prophets were slain. And he said, it's going to rain. But you know what Elijah still did? He still knelt down. He told Ahab, rain's coming. Get back in, you know, eat something. And so Ahab's riding back in his chariot. Elijah falls to his knees, puts his face between his legs, which is usually a posture of complete surrender and and laboring in prayer. He does that and he just prays seven times. He prays seven times until at the seventh time, his servant says a small cloud is rising up out of the ocean and entering the sky. And he knew then that the answer had arrived. He didn't give up. He didn't say, okay, you know what? God said the rain's coming. Let me just go walking back. He waited, he prayed, and the rains came. He persisted. He stayed in God's presence. He was soaked in the presence of God. A lot of commentators write that in the time that he was in Zarephath and at the uh, Brook Kidron, that he was actually kept in a place of incubation with God himself. He was being trained, he was being spoken to, he was being encouraged and that's how when he was released to do ministry soon after, he was just unleashed in power. Our power will be only as strong as the presence of God in our life. If I absolutely don't give God space in my life, if I don't spend time with him, I cannot say that I want to live and walk in power. It will not happen. Each of us today, all of us almost, those of us in India were in a lockdown. We have no excuses not to be soaked in the presence of God. You don't need a church building for that. All you need is where you're at right now. You just have to ask God, Lord, I want your presence right here. And lo and behold, thanks to the Holy Spirit, his presence will engulf you. We need to be soaked in the presence of God in order to live, walk and teach and speak with power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Apart from that, we can do nothing. Elijah was soaked through and through in God's presence. The third thing was that Elijah was not very connected to community. He tried to run a solo journey. He tried to do it all solo. He was a bit like a maverick. He Probably thought, you know what, I can do this better. If I have other people, they'll slow me down. But today, the call on our lives is that we stay connected to community. Because if we don't, we could have the burnout that Elijah did. If you look at what happened to Elijah, he finished this huge victory on Mount Carmel. okay? And and what happened once the rain started, the hand of God came upon him. That's what the verse says. It says the hand of God came upon him. He outran Ahab. Ahab was riding in a chariot into the city. Elijah comes running down the mountain, overtakes him and enters the city. Imagine the kind of power. This is an old prophet, but the power of God was so active in his life. And then he comes in. he must have been on a high. You know, he must have been just praising God and saying, you know what, God, you really showed them who was was the boss today. But what happens a day later, Jezebel, now Ahab goes and fills her in and says, you know, this is what happened to all your prophets Uh, None of them are left, always slain on the mountain. Jezebel sends out a hit and she says, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to ask my gods to finish you off the way you finished off all my prophets. And then Elijah gets afraid. The first time in the entire life story of Elijah that you see him actually not do what God asked him. God never said run from Jezebel. He never got a word of the Lord saying, now go run and hide. Not at all. But Elijah did that goes into hiding like he says he goes into the wilderness stays there and then tells God I want to die I just want to be one with my fathers take me and he goes to sleep like a lot of us when we are upset we go to sleep Elijah did the exact same thing as human as we are but then what happens is God feeds him through this angel who comes and makes a cake for him and feeds him and strengthens him twice the angel provides for him And then sets him out on a journey to Mount Horeb, which is an alternate name for Mount Sinai and says, go walking there. And it's a long distance. It's a very long distance. Elijah walks with the strength of what he eats for 40 days and 40 nights and reaches the mountain. And on the mountain, on the mountain, this is what happens. This is the conversation that he's having. 1 Kings 19 verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah is literally ranting to God. He's saying, you know what? This is why I was hiding in the wilderness and this is why I've come to Mount Horeb to tell you what your people are all about and to tell you that I'm all alone, that I was zealous for you alone. And then God's answer to him is amazing. He first gives him Three assignments. The first thing is, he says to anoint one king in Syria. Then he asks him, Go and anoint another king in Israel. And then he says, Elisha is going to take up your spot. So prepare him for, you know, taking up your mantle of leadership. These are the three fresh assignments that God gives him. And then he says, This amazing, amazing thing. 1 Kings 19, verse 18. He says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God was saying, hey Elijah, you sound like you're in a bit of self-pity. What God was not saying rather. You're in a bit of self-pity. You're you're discouraged. You're lonely. You're feeling isolated. Much like what a lot of us are feeling right now. So what God was saying is, hey, I've saved a remnant. There are these many, 7,000 in Israel who are still faithful to me. Don't give up hope. Don't lose your focus. That's what God was saying. And so today, are we having the problems that Elijah had? You know, the problems of isolation. Lord, I'm all alone. Or maybe we're saying, Lord, you don't know what all I've done for you. And yet I feel like I'm constantly beaten down. Self-pity maybe. Or maybe we're just plain discouraged. Lord, the news is so discouraging. The things that people are doing around is discouraging. Can I encourage you? that you don't make the mistake that Elijah made. Elijah decided to go it alone. He knew he could have employed the help of the many prophets who were left and rescued by Obadiah. Obadiah says that he rescued 100 prophets, kept them in two caves and fed them. So there were 100 prophets who he could have surrounded himself with. There were 7,000 who were faithful to the true and living God. Yet Elijah decided to be solitary. Today you and I can choose not to live in solitary confinement anymore. How can we do that? Yeah, we can't meet up in person, but you can stay connected online. Be in touch with people of God. Speak to people when you're afraid. Talk to them about your fears openly. Tell them, this is what I'm discouraged about. Let them pray for you. Faith communities are meant for us to grow in our maturity, to grow in our relationship with God. We are not meant to do life in silos. We're not meant to do this journey alone because it'll get exhausting. And like Elijah, we'll come to a place where we're saying, enough, Lord, take me. We're called to live in community. We're called to be there for each other. And so today, I want to ask you, are you prepared to live a life of incredible power? The time that Elijah lived in was a spiritually dark and decaying place. Ahab and Jezebel had created a system where there was spiritual and moral darkness, like I mentioned. And God provided light and relief through the likes of Elijah. Today, we're living in such a time when there's a moral decay, there's a spiritual decay, when justice is oftentimes missing, when equality is not felt. It's a dark time for humanity world over. But God is raising up each of us with the help of the Holy Spirit to bring light and relief to many. If we would allow Him. If we will say, Lord, no longer am I going to compartmentalize you out. Holy Spirit, no longer am I just going to relegate you to a Sunday. No longer am I going to leave you just for those important conversations with my boss. No longer am I going to leave you only when I need to understand the scripture. No, I want you in everything. I want to be consumed by you. You need to take up every crevice of my life. You need to take up every Google Calendar event. You need to be in everything, Lord. That's what it looks like because only then, only then can we really live in the tension of the supernatural and the natural. Only then can we say, Lord, invade my natural with your supernatural power. Only then can we say, Lord, I want to resist evil. I need your help because on my own, I keep failing. I want to be consistent in resisting the enemy. And only then can we declare God's word and faith over the situations that hit us. Because without that, it's just positivity. We need God's word. Will you choose today? Will you choose to be obedient to God? Will you say, Lord, whatever you, the task ahead? I say yes, because I know, Holy Spirit, you're going to empower me. On my own, I can't do it. But with you, I can do it. Where you say, I need to go, I'll go. What you tell me to speak, I'll speak that. I'll trust you and I'll obey you. Can we be soaked in His presence? Prayer is no longer something we need to partition time for. You know, we can pray through the day. As you're on your laptop, as you're feeding your child, as you're cleaning your house, keep the conversation going, open with God. Let His presence drench your house. It's no longer a one-off thing. It's no longer just a Sunday-only thing. We need God all the time. Soak yourself in His presence. Will you stay connected to community? Because if not, you will find yourself isolated. You will find yourself discouraged. You will find yourself very often feeling like you're at the end of your rope. Community strengthens you. Community gives you renewed purpose. Community reminds you what Christ saved you for. Community is so important in this season. Don't give up on that. Father, we just thank you for your fresh wind. We thank you, Lord, that the anointing power of God is so amazing. We thank you, O Lord, that you come in and you transform us in the best ways, Lord. Thank you, Father. And right now we pray that you would fall afresh on people's lives. I pray that you will, Lord, burn away everything that's not of you. That you will touch us, O Lord, where we are wounded and heal us, O Father. Lord, areas which are broken by sin, that you will mend it like only you can. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will fall afresh on us, that you will break us, melt us, mold us into the people you have wanted us to be, Lord. Help us, O oh Father. I pray that each person who's watching this right now, be it in their living room, be it in their kitchen, be it in their bedroom, Father, wherever they're sitting, maybe they're they're sick in their bodies right now. Maybe they're recovering. Oh, Father, whatever their state is, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are not a respecter of man. That, Lord, you come irrespective of what we have as baggage, that you love us so deeply. And I pray that, Lord, you will fall afresh on your people. For those, Lord, who are tired and weary, Holy Spirit of God, I pray you would revive them once again. I pray for those who are at the end of their rope. That, Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will come in with your power. That, Lord, you will bring to mind people that they can connect with once again. I pray that, Lord, you will give them courage for the journey ahead. Father, I pray for those with questions. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will provide answers only you can give. Only you can give. We ask that you will come in. We give you access. oh so Father, come in. Once again, anoint us. Fill us up with your power. Fill us up with your strength. We need you, Lord. Help us to be consumed by you. Help us to live consumed. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just pray that this week and the weeks to come, that you will continue to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you will completely allow him to come in and flood your life, and that you will live consumed by him. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion, and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus find life.